Hello and welcome to the latest Forever Blue podcast. Um, we're in an international break at the moment, so this is slightly different than we, we normally do. My name's Ian Cheeseman. Of course, this is a, a Manchester City podcast called Forever Blue, which is all about the club that I've supported and worked on as a journalist all throughout my life. Normally, the format is that I have... Uh, a couple of guests with me who are City fans and then an ex-player or ex-manager or maybe a City fan who's a celebrity or whatever. Today, I've come out on the road. And by the way, if you run a supporters club branch um, anywhere, basically, as long as you can get me there, I'll, you know, I'll fly off to Abu Dhabi's branch if you want me to. But basically, if you want me to come to your branch and in a future week maybe do the same sort of thing with your branch, then that's absolutely fine. I'm open to all these sorts of suggestions. So we're here in Berry, effectively, at the Berry branch, the official supporters club branch. Uh, and we've got a room here of, what, about 20 City fans, I would imagine, of, of a cross-section of ages, and I would imagine a cross-section of opinions and experiences as well. So just before we uh, talk to them, it sounds very silent in here, but trust me, I am in a room with a lot of people. Um, I just want to thank Amar Development UK, who are the sponsors of the podcast. And if you are local to Manchester and you've been on the M60 and you drive past that pyramid, used to be the Co-op Bank, um, Amar Development are turning that into a three-level um, event centre and restaurant. Um, so that's a big development that they're doing. And they're also doing other projects all around the Greater Manchester area. So I want to thank them for their support. Without them, then I wouldn't be able to do what I do. So big shout out to them. So before I go any further... Um, maybe I ask somebody like Stephen, who is actually a regular on the podcast anyway, to just tell me about your supporters club br branch and what your role is in it. Well, we meet once a month, 10 months of the year. We, we have June and December off. And I try to help with the ticket distribution. And obviously it's hard work because we don't, as every branch, we don't get enough tickets to meet demand. But people are understanding it more. We understand it more since uh, we've took the role on. And it's difficult. Uh, it, it's a thankless task for those at the top of the supporters club to meet demand as we get bigger and bigger. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a difficult job, but we, we've got to grips with it as a branch. When, you know, we've, we're never happy with an allocation, as, as every branch is, but that's life and that's because that's we're the best team in the world at the moment. So a simple question then, does the supporters club only really exist to get organised tickets or do you do other things as well? No, we meet, like I say, we meet once a month and we aim to get speakers down and obviously it's more ex-players and people like yourself who, who are always welcome down. Uh, the newer players, we know that there's no chance of them turning up and, and coming to see us. But I suppose people do come to try and get a ticket for an away game. But we, more or less, everybody goes to own games, so we do we do have a lot to talk about with City there. How do you feel then about the fact that City, as a club, have expanded so rapidly and so big that there are now supporters club branches? all over the world. I mean, they seem to be opening left, right and centre. I speak to Kevin Parker, who's the General Secretary from time to time, and he's very proud that, that you know, that the, there are tentacles, as it were, all over the place. In fact, as we're recording this, um, I believe that the trophies are down under in, in uh, Sydney and Melbourne and whatnot, and are going to the supporters club branches in those countries. I mean, you're only one voice and other people might want to express their opinion too but are you delighted that the, there are now more and more supporters clubs even though it might make it more difficult for you to get a ticket or do you wish it was still more you know the the Mancunian club because you're one of the older fans if you don't mind me saying so who you know grew up when City were just purely a Manchester club how do you feel about the the expansion of the supporters club? It's a two-way thing, really, because obviously as we've got more successful, then success brings the newer fans towards the, towards the club. As I say, Kevin really has a thankless task. And I suppose on one hand, he's proud of the club and the supporters club growing and growing. But on the other hand, it 
probably gives him more headaches and sleepless nights than he'd probably care for. Yeah, um, but I'm asking you, as his very branch of the supporters club, never mind Kevin <laughs> and the problems that he has, are you happy that you know there are people now all over the world? Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not expressing an opinion, I'm asking you. Uh, well, I don't know really, because obviously, yes, our roots are coming up from the 70s and 80s onwards, where we're used to a local support and and still at away games you do see faces that, that you've seen for years. But as two of our members can say tonight, they, they, they were at Arsenal on Sunday and there is a, a certain mixture of supporters that have you, you just never see at games and all of a sudden they're in the away end at Arsenal for a big game. And it happens at Old Trafford these days, Anfield... I've been to Anfield myself where underneath a jacket there was three lads in front of us once and they had red shirts on. So they weren't City away shirts, they were obviously Liverpool shirts. So I think that's the downside of it. And obviously demand for our supporters gets taken away from us because there's still only 3,000 away tickets. More and more people want them. And... If we've got foreign branches that are entitled to a ticket, then there's not a lot we can say, really. Philosophical answer, I think, is the uh, maybe diplomatic. Uh, has anybody got a view on that? Go on. Supporters with the Liverpool shirt on in front of you, down to just savvy supporters abroad, applying for tickets by joining a City supporters club, and we can't police it. Just before he answers that, how do you feel then? Does that mean you're a little bit more sceptical? I'm always sceptical, <laughs> but I just, you see it, um, there's, there's clearly something going on. We, I've seen it here where we've had members who've said, oh, I've got a ticket for the Derby through Phoenix branch in the US. Well, why are you a member of Phoenix branch? So I can get a ticket for the Derby. So it goes on. We know it goes on. Can it be policed? Difficult, I suppose. What's your general view then about the expansion of the, the club and their pros and cons to everything, aren't they? Yeah, I I'm, I'm love it, to be honest with you. I absolutely love it. I mean, why not? Especially if it rubs their noses in it. The biggest club in the world, biggest brand in the world, and we're taking them over. Fair enough. Yeah. You got an answer, answer to what that question was? Yeah, I think, uh, we, you know, there is no proof that it goes on, but whether ticketing agencies are getting tickets for the away end at City Games remains to be seen. And like I say, we don't have proof of that, but it, it, it is rumoured to be going on that these ticketing agencies are selling them to people abroad who are coming for the weekend and they're, they're quite happy to pay three or £400 for a ticket. Whereas obviously it's 30 quid for an adult normally. And I think that is the reason that some of these people are in the away end now. In more general terms, has any, you know, have you got an opinion, can think about this one, um, you know, about the, the way that the club is changing as it becomes more and more successful? Well, we've, we've just been for a short break overseas in New York and we took in a City game at the New York City Blues. And I, for one, thought it was excellent and the turnout they had and the enthusiasm they had for the game. Um, just the way they set their club up and the way they operated their raffle for charity. They had lots of merchandise that was specific to New York. I suppose it's an easier brand to sell than Little Old Berry, which people probably won't be interested in, but the way they branded it all and did that was great. Uh, I did quiz him about the ticket situation and he was somewhat coy about applications and how many tickets they got allocated, but generally it was pretty good. What, what he said that was quite interesting was that since the treble, their membership and applications and stuff has gone through the roof. The, the, the interest in, in City since that treble, it's, it's, it's gone off the scale. Is, it, is that all Harland? Because I get the feeling that Harland has now become, you know, he's, like, he's on the front page of FIFA 2024, I think, you know, and he's become the sort of poster boy, hasn't he? Is, mm. is, is that the big difference? As well um, as the treble, obviously. Um, he, he didn't elaborate on that, that that was the, the, the specific reason. But you can see that there's a void being left by the waning stars of Ronaldo and Messi now. That they're, they're sort of drifting away from the scene, aren't they? So somebody's got to come through and, and be the poster boy. And he, I think just the timing happens to be that it's him. 
I definitely get the feeling that people coming into the, the Etihad now when I walk around doing my YouTube vlog, you know, there's a lot of people coming to see Harland. That, that definitely feels like one to me. Before we move on to maybe talking about the Arsenal game and where City are at the moment, has anybody else got a view about the expansion of the club, the way the club is changing, that it could be pro or anti? And obviously, if you're a younger fan, you'll have one type of view, maybe. You'll have an, old, an older fan, might have another. So I'm looking around now to see if anybody wants to have a view on this. Has anybody got a view on it? Yeah, got a view Go on. on. Yeah, thanks, Ian. I think um, for us, really, now, now we've expanded and we are this global brand, it comes with positives and negatives. And I think everyone can appreciate that. If you're an older fan and you've seen the bad times, um, you can appreciate what's going on and it's great. You just touched on Harlan there. Um, last season, Harlan, fantastic, scoring all the goals. Everyone's raving about him. This season, still top scorer in the Premier League, but now apparently he's, he's a poor player because he's not, you know, he's had 15 touches or he's not getting involved or whatever. I think it's just it's an adaptation of the game. City have changed a lot of players recently. Pep's looking at different systems. He always does. He always gets criticised, but he always comes out on top. And I think with Haaland, it's just getting that right right mix. Alvarez has come into the team. For me, he's quality, absolutely quality at that age. Um, but you've got to, we're City fans at the moment. I think the expectation is that high. The minute you get a negative, it's very, very easy to be very deflated and not look at the positives. Um, my son sat next to me, probably doesn't want to say much, but he's only seen the good times. We haven't, we've seen the bad times. So... When City have a performance like they did against Arsenal, and to be honest, that was poor, and I've not said that very many times about City, but it was poor, you're then wondering, right, OK, what, what's next? But we've always got the ability to, to take that on the chin and come out the other side, and that's what will happen. I mean, Arsenal celebrating on, um, <laughs> after the game against City, you think they'd have learned the lesson from last season, but they obviously didn't, did they? And that will come back and bite them. Because we were in the league this season, we're not even started. We don't even start till January. Let's be honest. And this, we probably had the best start we've had for the last three seasons, up until the last couple of games. Um, but I think Harland is a, a bit of a phenomenon. At the end of the day, he's going to score goals. He's, he'll get 30, 40 plus this season. He will. He'll, he's going to. You know, everyone goes through a bad patch. But his his role in the team is taking players away from other players. So where we had De Bruyne, where we had um, Bernardo in the centre and we had players coming through, Gundogan, we haven't got that now. We've got a transition. At City, we expect this transition to happen overnight. It's accepted at Liverpool, it's accepted at United that they're going to go through years, Chelsea, transition. City wanted it within three months. Uh, and that's where we are as a club. Um, is that a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Well, why not? At the end of the day, we need to be aiming for the top. Like you say, we're, you know, we've spent billions on players, we've spent billions on the club, we are a global brand, we've moved forward, there is an expectation. But as far as City are concerned, we need to still be reaching them heights because I think the fan base now, like you said, certainly like Jason just said about New York, people are jumping on the bandwagon. We've won the treble, we want to be a City fan, we want to be involved in that success. Will those people still be there if things go the other way and City drop away from the top four? Maybe not. So that's my opinion. So your, your cup's basically <clears throat> half full as far as City are concerned, as far yeah. as Haaland is concerned. Um, I had a lad called Haaland on the podcast last week and if you listen to the podcast or you watch my YouTube channel, because I'm going to put a little bit of it on next week, um, he was actually quite critical um, of Haaland and it feels, I mean, he's generally a very optimistic fan, but he feels a lot more uh, down or critical, if you like, of City now. And certainly, I thought last season, Gundogan was City's best player. If I, if I had a player of the year last year, it would have been Gundogan. Um, Kevin De Bruyne is, is, without doubt, a magnificent player. And But, you know, he's been out before and City haven't dipped quite as much as they have. Everything now seems to be pointing towards Rodri and the significance of Rodri. And you can't argue statistically that City were without Rodri for three games and they lost three games. But is it really as straightforward as that? 
you know, um, you know, go on, you tell me what you think. Well, you've stole my thunder a little bit there, but I was just about to say that. You, we've, we've played three games without Rodri, we've lost all three of them. I think what Rodri does is he gives our creative players more licence. Without him, they're, we're not, they're not as attacking, they're not as, we're not as fluid. And when he's there, he just gives them this safety net so they can go forward and do their thing and they'll create the chances for Haaland. So I think Haaland's taking the blunt of this because he's been a bit quiet. But how many chances did he actually get against Arsenal in particular? I don't think he had a single chance. So I think he's been a bit unfair. I think what we need to realise, I think we all realise, is how important Rodri is, as well as Kevin. I just think he's, he's probably, for me, the best player in the world right now, certainly in his position. There's no question about it. So he's had a massive impact. Him not being available has affected the rest of the team for me. I can't argue with that. And obviously those statistics are very plain, you know, three defeats uh, with three absences. However, a year ago, um, Rodri was this magnificent holding midfielder and it was Gundogan, it was Mares, it was um, Kevin De Bruyne or whatever who was supplying the ammunition. And you could see every time Kevin De Bruyne got it, he was looking for Haaland and looking, looking to try and put him through. Gundogan was very clever, I thought, in trying to do that sort of stuff as well. City have signed players in the summer. Doku's obviously come in to, to play on the wing. Kovacic is, is in that role, roughly where maybe Gundogan was. Um, you know, Nunes has, has come in and, and, and he brings a different angle to things. So I suppose I could say to you, are those, are those three, compared to what's gone, improved, dropped, need time? What's your verdict on all that? Well, I think, I think they're going to need time, definitely. Uh, I was talking to Jason earlier about Kovacic. He looked like a world beater when he was playing alongside Rodri. With Rodri not there, all of a sudden... He doesn't look half the player. So I'm coming back to Rodri again. The Doku thing, I think he's got potential to be absolutely brilliant. What frustrates me a little bit is he's playing on the left. For me, he should be playing on the right. He's got all the pace in the world. He's all right-footed. Just power down the right-hand side and cross it and cut back from the byline for Haaland to get onto the end of it. So there was a period of time when City had Raheem Sterling on the right, Sane on the left. All right, they didn't have Haaland in the middle, but actually with Aguero there, that worked pretty well. The manager now prefers the inverted wingers, doesn't he? And although um, Jack Grealish, you wouldn't classify really as a winger, he does play on the left-hand side as an inverted midfielder, if you want to call him that. You're not a fan, but you were shaking your head when he said that. I would not put Doku on the right. I think whenever Doku plays on the right, he's not half the player that he is when he plays on the left. And Ford proved it a couple of weeks ago. When Doku came on, he went on to the right and Ford was playing on the left. <clears throat> and I think it was Ford and himself that switched them. He switched them around and all of a sudden the whole team changed. I think Doku is far, far better as a left-handed player. Do you rate Doku then from what you've seen so Definitely. far? I think he's brilliant. He's brilliant. He scores defenders. He has and a trick, doesn't he? I mean, I remember Peter Barnes coming into the team mm-hmm. and at the time when he came in, he absolutely had a trick and he had pace and for about a year, maybe a year and a half, he was unplayable. He was brilliant. One of my absolute favourite players as I was growing up. I look at Doku and I look at the way the game's moved on and I want to see a young Peter Barnes in Doku and I do see a young Peter Barnes. But I also know that after about 18 months, and I'm sure Peter would admit this, they started to rough him up a little bit and he started to play in a different way and protect himself a little bit more and he wasn't quite the same player. Have you any concerns about Doku in that, in that no, degree? I think Doku's quite a strong lad. He's a strong player and he's, he's courageous and that's what you need. Um, but I like, I like wingers who scare defenders. And as soon as he gets the ball, you can see that they are afraid because they don't know what he's going to do. So if you're playing him on the left, who do you play on the right then? Who would be your choice on the I'd, right? I'd put Foden on the right. Not right. down the middle, because a lot of people want him... When De Bruyne is back, I'd put Foden on the right. At the moment, I think Foden's got to stay in the middle because there's nobody to replace De Bruyne, really. Who the heck is going to replace him with, I'll never know. Alvarez is good, but he's not De Bruyne. 
I'm not going to name who it was, but somebody said to me the other day that Alvarez playing in that role as a second striker but dropping into midfield was actually part of the problem. Now, this is, I'm just putting representing the, this opinion without saying who it's from because I don't think that would be fair and he didn't want me to name him. But essentially what he was saying was that Alvarez, as a striker, when he would receive the ball in an area where Bernardo Silva or or Gundogan when he was playing, or maybe Nunes now, or whoever, might get it, turn it, and then try and slip um, Haaland in. Alvarez's instinct, wherever he is then, because he's, he's a striker and he's actually got a very good shot on him, is to take a shot himself, which means that Haaland gets missed out. Is that, is that, I mean, if, uh, you don't have to talk about that, but you've got an opinion, haven't you? Well, I was going to go back to the original point about the expansion. Yes, by all means. Anything so, you want. So, first of all, uh, it comes part and parcel with us being one of the, oh, the best team in the world and trying to win every competition we're in. It's always going to happen, so it's no, there's no stopping it. But I just want to say also what Jason said about, was it New York you were in? Yeah. Well, I was lucky enough to watch two City matches in, in America, one in Boston, one in uh, Washington, D.C. And in Washington, D.C., I watched the game with the Capital City Blues, and it was it's really it's amazing to walk into a bar other end of the world and just see city things scarves everyone dressed out in city gear singing the songs all right not quite right in an american accent but still singing them i think that is just amazing if anyone is in america during the season you should definitely go find your local sports club bar and watch this game with the city fans there it's usually the first thing in the morning so you have to drink early but it's uh, well worth doing Obviously, you don't have to drink, because I don't drink, but I know what you mean, yeah. Uh, I mean, I've had, the ex- I've had the experience of being over there even on holiday and meeting City fans, and, and funnily enough, I was in Washington last summer and met a couple, the, the lad who runs the Washington brand. He couldn't not have been more genuine and friendly, and, you, you saw, and he was American. Um, you know, I think he worked at the Pentagon, so you know, he's as American as you can get, really. But he, he still felt part of the City family, and the city family is really important, and I guess that's what supporters clubs branches really are about, aren't they? Enhancing the, the sort of city family. Has anybody got a, a view on, on what we're talking about here, either about the football or, um, or about... Do you want to contribute to this and tell me what you think? I just think that you, you kind of... No matter where, where we're at in our journey, there'll always be new fans coming along, and you've got to embrace that and support that. I think in terms of what we're seeing at the moment is the best football we've ever seen in our lives. You know, and you can't knock it. You watch other games and it's like, this ain't City. And, and, and people want a piece of that and we've got to be genuine enough to give some of that away. You know, for the old, older fans, like I started Sportman in 70, 74. You know, I've seen all, all the kind of types of football that has been along the way... Um, Diplomatically said. Yeah, yeah, I can <laughs> quote names at you, but I won't. But I've seen it very varied standards, and today I, I can't fault it in terms of where we're at as a team. I said, in, in relation to some of the <clears throat> newer players that have got to settle in, they've got to get the red round Pep's system. I mean, I listen to some of te- Pep's team talks, and I'm thinking I can't understand half of what he's, he's kind of trying to get across it, you know, in that, in that respect. So... The team's got to be able to gel and we've got to give them time to do that. It, it's early on in the season and the business end won't be till February, March, April. So, oh, There's two of you in a row who are all for spreading out the city brand, so to speak. Let me play devil's advocate here and say, 10 years ago, uh, before all this happened for City, did you look across... I'm asking a question here and you can, anybody who wants to join in or give an opinion on this, just say it. Well, did you look over at Old Trafford sorry to swear, and think, all oh, tourists there, you know, and they're all from London and they're all from, they all come over from Indonesia or whatever. And now City have turned into that club. They've, they've aimed to turn into that club. That's what they want to do. They want to be a global brand. So is there not, and don't shoot the messenger, I'm just asking the question, is there not an element now of hypocrisy of saying, didn't like it when it was United doing it, but now it's us, we love it. I don't know. I mean, I was saying that. Genuinely. I'm asking you. No, I mean, I'm not. Because I think that a lot of City fans and Mancunians have got the roots in, in what they love as the club. You know, in terms of, of where we're from and, and where we're going. You know, we've, we've won the treble and, and we've emulated whatever has gone before us. And there's not, not going to be many that are going to do that again. 
you know, any any time soon. Hopefully, we'll we'll do it. But yeah, but you're not answering my question, are you? You know, ten years ago, it was it was United, yeah. the worldwide club, you know, and uh, and there's obviously a song that City fans sing, you know, go back to London. Let's put it the nice yeah. view of it, and and now you could sing that about City potentially. You you could you could indeed. It depends on whose perspective you're looking at, I suppose, and. Trying to be diplomatic about it, yeah, I would probably have said that about United ten years ago. I'm saying it about my own club now. I'm not sure at this moment in time. I think the, the unrivaled success that we've had and what, and what we're watching as a club and the style of play is bound to attract that level of kind of um, other fans wanting, wanting, you know, genuinely new new fans that come along. And it really is, and I don't know what to say about. How I can answer that? You've, really. been, on, you've been honest. Has, has anybody else got a view about how the, you know, the irony, if you like, that um, ten years ago we did, we were taking the Mickey out of United, and now basically we're everything that you could argue anyway. I'm just putting the other side of the argument. We're everything that they were. Now we are. Yeah, but when it comes to a derby and, and rival clubs, you'll pick on any single little thing, rational or irrational, to take the Mick out of them, won't you? So they've got this empty seat thing, myth about flipping all these plastic seats everywhere, nobody goes yet, try buying a ticket, you've no chance. But they keep that myth perpetuating because it's a, a stick to beat us with, which is very similar to the, the, the global brand and all the foreigners that used to go and watch them. So it's just, I wouldn't read too much into that. I, mean, I think it's just the banter thing that goes on and anything that you can find to to use as a stick to beat them with, you will. And if it gets under the skin, all, all, the, all, the, all the better. How important is it to you that City win the treble again or win the fourth league title in a row, or whether, whether it's all three of them, or win the Champions League again? Is that, is that the be-all and end-all to you? Uh, the, the most important thing I feel this season is winning that fourth league title above everything else. Uh, the Champions League, for me, felt a bit like just getting the monkey off our back. I really wanted to win it. But it wasn't as important to me as the league or even the FA Cup. You know, I love winning the FA Cup and the way we've not, I think, fulfilled our potential in that competition over the last few years with such a good side has been a bit frustrating for me. You know, losing at the semi-final stage so many times, putting weakened sides out or, or, or what I would perceive as weakened sides has been a little bit frustrating for me personally. Now, I know City lost at Newcastle in the League Cup without Rodri and obviously we've talked about the fact that Rodri missed the three successive defeats while he was out however there was a and I brought this up on the podcast before the Newcastle game there is a train of thought that City might not it might have might have been ideal for them to actually go out of the League Cup in the way that they did at Newcastle because the quarter-finals of the League Cup coincide with the semi-final and final of the World Club Cup in Saudi Arabia. And that would have meant if City had got all the way to the quarter-finals, well, let's say they were playing Liverpool at Anfield in that game, they'd have been putting basically the youth team out to get probably thrashed 10-0 or something uh, on the same night that the first team and all the squad that had gone out to Saudi Arabia who wouldn't be available were playing against some South American team or whoever it is that due to play. You're all English fans, I'm guessing, in here, tradition, and most of you traditional long-running fans. Did it matter to you? Have you got an opinion on, on the League Cup? You know, what, what did you think of going yeah, out in the absolutely. League Cup? I have... People laugh at me. I value our bread and butter <laughs> as our domestic trophies above Europe. In above my... the World Club Cup? <laughs> No, no, wait a minute. No, that's a different... I, val I value our domestic FA Cup and League Cup above any European competition. And the only reason I value that is because I know where I'm going, what I'm going to spend, and I've not got a language problem. End of. And do you know what? I totally agree with Jason, what he's saying in terms of the growth and the way we've come. I'm absolutely delighted about it. And the bitterness that's towards City, and there is, I only put it down to one thing, and that's jealousy. They're jealous. There's not one club. And we all know how Manchester United and Liverpool were built and their history and everything else and the worldwide audiences they've got 
At least ours was built on football. Okay, now the billionaires are at the table and everyone's got to compete with that, Ian. But what I get really passionate about is not necessarily the growth. It's, it's the product. It's VAR. And now we're playing 100 and, what is it, 105 minutes to finish a game. I just, uh, you don't know when to cheer. You don't, if the, the, on the screen, as soon as the goal goes up when, when it's us, video, uh, VAR check, and you're thinking, oh, here we go, here again. And I'm not saying for one minute City's not had the rub of the green, because we have in a lot of instances, as has everybody else. But personally, with what's happened recently at the Liverpool and Tottenham game, <coughs> they seriously need to think about scrapping it and going back to human error. I remember Tommy Doherty saying, football's all about opinions. It's all, you, you think he was the man of the match. I thought he was man of the match. And we need to go back to that sort of feeling, for me, anyway. That, do, you, do you attend matches? And, and this isn't a judgment. I'm just, it's just a question to put this into perspective. Do you go home and away? Do you just go to home games? Not as much away now. Um, I tend to select the grounds that I've not been to. Um, I think there's... Maybe two now, Notts Forest and Bournemouth that I've not been to. Um, but I have a season ticket at home. I go to every home match. I mean, all the cup schemes, I went to Turkey just. I went to Portugal in the Champions League. I'd like to think I've done my shift. My favourite player was Dennis Stewart. Do you know what I mean? So I go back a, a, quite a few years. and. Um, I just wonder, the reason I ask that is because VAR is something that a lot of people have argued was created for the television viewer because we in stadiums, because I'm in, in stadiums all the time, half the time we don't even know what's going on and, I, and I've been known to text my son at an away game who's watching it on TV and go, what happened there? Well, you know, I, I don't actually know what happened, please can you tell me? And then he explains it to me. Uh, it, uh, VAR... Might not, but what I'm getting at is people watching on TV might love VAR. People in stadiums might not like it. You think that's the difference? Yeah, possibly. VAR replaced retrospective punishment, didn't it? So we employed, I believe, a team of guys in a studio to debate the match on a on a Sunday or Monday, but after the game. And I remember Sean Wright Phillips making a challenge at Stoke. And uh, I think we got beat 1-0. But Sean Wright Phillips then on the Monday got the same punishment as the guy that had committed the foul. And his retaliation was instinctive. He swung out with his leg. And sure enough, like everything's relative with City, it's, uh, it, it's magnified, isn't it? It's, uh, it's tenfold and everyone jumps on the bandwagon. I'm not sure, actually, who was the player that got sent off or he didn't get sent off, was it Portsmouth we played? And uh, the Thatcher. outcry for Ben Thatcher, the outcry from that was unbelievable with City. The We've always seemed to be the first with everything. The only player to ever have a yellow card upgraded. Post-game to Ten a red card. Eight games, I think it was. So, is, tell me, there must be people in this room who either watch all the games on TV and, and never actually get to go to a game, or, or watch more games on TV. And I just wonder if those people, if there are, is there anybody in the room who's like that, who watches most of the games on TV? You're all match-going fans all the time, home and away. You must, you must miss some games. I just wonder whether it's better to watch it VAR, whether it frustrates you less when you're watching on TV. You must see some games on TV. Oh, I, I, I think um, there's, a, there's huge debates on VAR. And they, they said they're actually going to uh, review, give supporters in the ground uh, the same information as people are getting on the TV now, which will be a lot better, because it is frustrating watching. It, I mean, there's still grounds, you know this, there's still grounds in the Premier League that haven't even got a big screen. So... Yeah, Liverpool and United, basically, isn't it? You know, and you think, how can that possibly be in this day and age? Well, it seems to work for them two clubs, doesn't it? Not having a, <laughs> not having a screen up, but uh, going back to VAR, I think the, the sort of 
hypocritical bit of it is this week the fuss about Kovacic, who, who rightly probably should have got sent off in the first half. But everything's reviewed about his two challenges. And yet on the same day, Newcastle, the midfielder Bruno, whatever his name is, he's done exactly the same thing. But we don't hear about him. We hear about City's player. And we don't hear about the Wolves player from the week before who did two challenges, got booked for the first one, never got booked for the identical challenge, stayed on the pitch and scored the winning goal. Is that not just the, the price of City now being best team in the world? Well, I oh, think the most it's... scrutiny, the most fans, the most demand to watch games on TV. And I mean, didn't I read that the Champions League final in Istanbul um, had had the biggest TV audience for about five years for a Champions League final? So that shows you where City are now, doesn't it? Maybe the TV audience is getting bigger every time, whether it's City or not. But I think the media is driven by two teams in red, maybe three teams in red. And that affects a lot of things. Most of our discrepancies are noted very vocally. And then there's a lot of them from different clubs that are not reported on as much. And unfortunately for VAR and the Referee Society, the club that they got the goal disallowed that shouldn't have been the other week was the, the absolute nightmare for them to have it against them because they want everything, don't we? So that was a disaster for the, for the VAR, to be honest. But I think, uh, yes, we, we've, I know we, we've had this discussion before, but I still think we are persecuted by the media quite a bit and the jealousy comes into it where the teams in red want to be in the, champ, in the Champions League positions all the time. But we've took them over and welcome to Newcastle because they might come and take them as well. I, I for one, welcome Newcastle's challenge. You know, I thought, going back to the League Cup when you mentioned it, it was, I like the League Cup. It's one of my favourite cups. It was a, you know, disappointing defeat. But I think as a result and a defeat, it, it was the best outcome for Pep and City. If you're going to lose, lose by... Because we played really well first half with, with no real threat. They had a good spell for 20 minutes when they scored. And then they hung on against us. And I thought, we've gone out in, in a decent performance against the top team, a top four team last season, who've gone on to have two great results since. So I think it, it, the defeat was the best reflection on City at the time because... And for you personally, because you were in a dilemma, I know you were in a dilemma, about whether you might attend the quarter-final of the League Cup or try to get to Saudi Arabia for the World Club Cup, so solve your problem, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's done and dusted now, isn't it? Uh, but I, I just think it, it, it was the way... That this year, they're going to go for the World Club Championship to win that trophy because then the best team in the land and all the world. It's been 25 years, that song, hasn't it? But now it could come true this year. So I think for the, as far as the League Cup went, it was a, a def, an honourable defeat. And look at Newcastle's reactions, you know, you can tell. I mean, even Arsenal on, on Sunday, that, for me, these teams really should be taking us on and playing and going for it against us. We've got players missing, suspensions and injuries, and they just sit back. They're frightened to death of us. Nobody wants the footballers anymore. You know, they, they, just go, they just want to play on the break and then sit back. And that's the biggest compliment to City at the moment. Every, even teams in the top four are frightened to play us at football. And the only, the only team that probably come forward against us is long ball Liverpool. And that's, that's, that's all they I just think they're Burnley with good players. Well, Burnley have changed now. They want to play football. But Sean Dice is Burnley. But that's, nobody wants to play us at football anymore. Does anybody have any concerns about um, player you know, well-being? I mean, as fans, you know, we sit on the sidelines and we just enjoy the spectacle, but more and more games are being played. I know Rodri talked about the number of games that he's played, and I know it's a way off yet. It's another 18 months, but in the summer of 2025, City, by virtue of winning the Champions League, are in the World Club Cup, World Cup, if you want to call it that, 32-team competition in America, I guess you'll probably have to play some like seven games. So it's effectively like 
players going away on international duty, which they do every alternate summer, but there'll then be successive summers where the players never get any break. Does that worry you, or you just say, well, they're paid that much, they should just get on with it? Um, well, actually, when you talked about players' welfare, I was going to make another point. But we'll make we, another point. The yeah. other point is about Calvin Phillips, because, to, to be honest, we've got a player here who Pep Guardiola cannot make better, and that is unheard of, because most players who come to City are average, he makes better. I mean, Rodri, no one had ever heard of him, came to City, he's a world-beater. I can't understand the Calvin Phillips situation, to be honest. It, it, it must be something where he is, he's neither not putting 100% in or, or Pep's not happy with his application or something like that, or he doesn't fit with the system. Um, but I do feel sorry for him because he's under scrutiny, isn't he, really? And he's going to go out of the club and he's going to go to another club and I'm, I'm sure he'll perform. I am absolutely sure he'll perform like he did at Leeds. But he's, he's going out a bit, a bit tainted. I can't really understand it to be honest. But when you look at the when you look at the players and the demands on them at City now, there is so much scrutiny. There is absolutely no margin for error. You cannot have a bad pass. You can have a bad touch. You can't put a bad tackling like Kovacic the other day without somebody commenting. <clears throat> and I suppose that's where the, where we are. Um, my opinion on the World Club Cup. Don't get me started on that to be honest, because I think. It's way, we talk about the Mickey Mouse Cup, which is the Cabaret Cup, it's way below that. I wouldn't even be entering it, to be honest. I know United didn't enter the FA Cup to go to it. I just think, who are you playing? Ramy United, Radcliffe Borough? Who, 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 I don't, I've never heard any of the teams who are in it, if I'm being Surely honest. Surely that, that, I mean, there's a t- this <coughs> season, there's, they're going to have to play a semi-final yeah. and then either a final or third-place playoff. So it's a short competition. In the summer of 2025, it's going to be on the TV screens around the world. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's mm. going to be everything City as a football club want their brand on the world stage. Yeah. But you're still calling it a Mickey Mouse Cup. Yeah, I, I, just, I just believe that, to be honest. Because if you look at the standard of football outside of Europe, it's poor. So... Couldn't you say that about the international games, though? I mean, half the World Cup matches are against teams you've never heard of who were... Garbage. Yeah. yeah, well, isn't this the same thing? Isn't that the same? just the same brand on your league football? You know, you, you, City will go into this and, it, and it's great. You know, we're expanding our brand, but what is the worth out of it? To be honest, I, I'd rather won the Cabaret Cup, gone and put a full team out against Newcastle, turned up in Jeddah or wherever we're going, and you know, put a, a youth team out and come home. That's my opinion. Really? But, yeah. You put the youth team out in Jeddah? Yeah, yeah. The club are yeah. never, ever, ever no, the club think that way, are The they? club won't think that way, no, no. But I'd rather win trophies that mean something. Because, to be honest, you know, United went out there, you know, everyone's trying to win the World Cup and the World, whatever it is, League Cup. What worth has it got? It's got, it's got no worth. You're not going to even sit that next to the European Cup. It, it doesn't mean anything. I don't know any fan that would actually look at that competition seriously. Does anybody then on the, on the welfare side, that might not be what you want to talk about, so talk about what you want to talk about, but worry about players playing so many games? Not quite on the welfare side, but I completely agree with Warren. We've had the European Super Cup, which is the European Charity Shield, let's face it, and then we've got the Third World Invitational that we're playing against teams that from around the world. It's a money spinner, I get it, we're going to go, I get it. It's worth nothing. It's worth nothing. I'd rather have the League Cup. Won't you be watching it, though, on TV? Loving sure it. If it City on. win I'm the sure World Club Cup, the fans will be singing Champions of England, Champions of Europe, Champions of the World, won't they? And we become Scousers. Wouldn't <laughs> <laughs> you, you just love that, though? I mean, I'd love to hear that from the fans. I'm sure I'll enjoy it. Yeah, I'm a hypocrite, if nothing else, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody got any concerns about the players' welfare before I move on to something else? Uh, no, right, okay. So nobody cares about the players, you know. The, 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 just make them play, you know. Um, obviously, one subject that, that is starting to rear its head a little bit and become think, something that people are a little bit more aware of now is the new indoor arena, the Co-op Live. And uh, I think I was seemed to be one of the first to spot the fact that when Take That announced their residency, it coincides with 
when the Champions League semi-final second leg would be. Now, I know City might not get there, and even if they did, they might be at home in the second leg, so it wouldn't, uh, um, so it wouldn't matter. But the point is that that type of thing is going to happen. And I know for a fact now uh, that on the last day of the season when we play West Ham, Barry Manilow's in concert in that stadium. So it's going to happen. A lot of people thought it would never happen, that things, things would never clash and they'd always be moved, fixtures would be moved, concerts would be moved. It ain't going to happen. Is that a concern? You, you, most of you here, by answering the way you have done, you don't watch on TV, go to games. It's already, you see people flooding out of the Etihad with five, ten minutes to go, and their defence usually of doing that, because it would never, I'd never do that in a million years, even if it meant two extra hours to get home. I want to watch the whole match. But a lot of people say, well, you've got to, you've got to get out of the car park, you've got to get home, you've got to get on the tram, you've got to do this, that and the other. And I have a little bit of empathy with it, even though I don't agree with it. I do have a little bit of it. It's going to be a lot worse when... There's a concert, let's say it's a Champions League night on a Wednesday, and somebody, well, it doesn't matter who it is, but a sold out at uh, Corp Live. Is that something you've thought about? Is that something you care about? Is that something you have a concern about? I heard today, I heard today on the 19th, yeah, it's Barry Manilow, isn't it? On the yeah. last home game of the season. That's going to yeah. be chaos. <laughs> I'm sure it'll sell out. Absolutely, I bought my ticket. <laughs> so does that worry you, though? I mean, you know, it's what, be busy, does it? that mean you've Car got to parks. think about what you do differently? Car parks and metros are going to be busy, aren't they? They're going to be even. So if, they, if we're well, going to kick off at four, last game of the season, yep. so they, that starts at half six, it's, it's going to be uh, chaos, yeah? I think it's more than talking about this exclusion zone, though, aren't they, around the grounds being extended. I think I know a girl who lives quite near the ground, and she said they've had letters about, um, you know, for parking on the street parking is going to be an extra, I don't know what it is, a mile or so. Uh, that's been talked about. So that'll make things like that a lot worse. Um, and by definition, people who are coming to a concert generally, as opposed to match fans who know where they're going to park and know where the, the little, you know, how to get round it, so mm. to speak, the ones who are coming to a concert, whoever it is, quite a lot of them are coming from further. I know, I know what it's like when I go to some venue to watch a concert and I think, where do you park? Where do I go? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's more chaotic than it would be well, people, around People football. are talking about the trams. I think it was the, the last game or so. Somebody said they had to wait about 45, 50 minutes to get a tram back into town and then a two-car one turned up or something like that. So they've got to address those things uh, they've got to address those a lot, really. Do you have faith that that will happen? Because, as I say, a lot of people were saying to me, don't worry, these clashes will never happen. Well, There's no way they'd allow the two things to happen. Yeah. Well, it's I going to happen all yeah. the time. I didn't think they would, because uh, I was looking, there was one concert, and I think it was like, I think we're Fulham away, it might have been take that or something like that, I don't know. But So I thought, well, they were looking at that, but if there's games where they don't know if it's going to happen yet, there will be clashes, won't there? So... I mean, I just was writing my fixtures on for the 24 part of my calendar, which I bought today. And I noticed that the weekend of the FA Cup semi-final, two semi-finals, of course, are at Wembley, we're at Tottenham. So assuming that City and Tottenham aren't in the semi-finals, does that mean there's a threat that that game will move? Or will there be a Tottenham fixture against City on the same day as a semi-final at Wembley? Which isn't really that far away. And just to expand on that, when I went down to Arsenal last weekend, um, I was going to do a little sort of detour in my car and realised when I looked at everything that uh, Tottenham were Jackson, Jaguarville, whatever they're called, the American football team. They were at home. Um, West Ham were at home. And Arsenal were at home, and I thought, oh, it's going to be chaos. But of course, it's London, so they have a better infrastructure, and not many people actually go to games in London and park. But nevertheless, I thought, anybody that's naive enough to think that they're going to be cancelling fixtures, moving fixtures, moving concerts to make it easier for fans, surely the only thing they're bothered about now is that the two kickoffs don't clash so that TV viewers can watch them both. That's the priority, isn't it? I think Chelsea, Brentford and Fulham were all at, are at home on the same night for the League Cup as well, weren't they? So Perhaps it's slightly... I don't know whether they were all sellouts for that, but it's maybe it's slightly different, but I get the point. I don't think they do it as much as they used to do. I know they keep City and United apart in the Champions League and, and on FA Cup days, I think if one's on Saturday, they'll be on Sunday, but 
it's happening less and less, that moving things around, isn't it? There's mm. so much money at stake. Yeah, it was always going to happen. There was always going to play an home game with the concert. I had a, a bit of a conversation with one of my friends about this. He said, that'll never happen. Of course it will. What are they oh, going to say? We sit here at home to Villa on a Saturday and they're not going to have a concert on the Saturday night. And they've moved the Villa game back to an R5 kickoff, and they're going to cancel the concert. No chance. These concerts, as we've seen now, are booked in a year in advance, aren't they? So that's not going to be done. You're right. For me, it sounds like a win-win sometimes because we love live music. And the, the idea of going to a City game in the afternoon and then staying out and going to a gig sounds absolutely fantastic to me. Well, I know it's not cool to say this, but as I mentioned, I slipped it in there. I bought my ticket for Barry Manilow, so I'll be at City against West Ham in the afternoon. Not sure he's going to see you there. I know, I know that's one that you would probably ridicule and not many people would relate to, but the point is the same, isn't it? It is. You know, it, it, I, I presume I'll park in one place for both. There's, there's negatives and, 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 and positives to everything, and, and this we've got to see how it pans out, but I, I think the Metrolink generally since the dawn of, of moving to the Etihad has, has, hasn't been up to scratch. I, just, I can't see why they couldn't have built a side in there and have additional trams in and all the, they go on about the, the timing of it with the routes and all this lot. And you're like, well, the City games are, are long in advance of, of, of what goes on. So surely there must be some way of, of sorting the, that out. Is the problem not that they're a private company, the tram, trams, so they want paying for extra trams? I mean, I was in Leipzig last what, 10 days ago, whatever, and I got a tram back from Leipzig's ground into the city centre, no problem. Within half an hour, the final whistle, everybody, everybody that wanted to get the tram, they were just one, they were literally a minute or two apart, these it trams. When I went to Bayern Munich, was the same. You just, sorry, when you came out of Bayern Munich, it was all there organised for you. You came out, you got on, you were gone. No, no problems whatsoever. Well, you're saying there, Ian, they're a private company, right? Well, it's market forces, surely. If you've got yeah, but if they've got a pay... fans coming out of the Etihad and you... twenty-five coming out of a concert, you want more trams on you. Yeah, but if they're, if they're a, this is the way I look at it. Um, having had a father who worked on the railways, right? They'd have to pay a driver a eight-hour shift, presumably, and by the time he's done his pick-up at the Etihad and gone into Manchester. What is it, you know, for the other seven hours, were they going to be running all these trams up and down the line? Or do they pay him a full hour's, eight-hour shift for doing a two-hour um, event, if you like? Because by the time he's come back to run that run again, everybody's left by then, haven't they? Well, they have, but if you just shifted 85,000 people, surely they can afford to pay him a few hours to go home early. Yeah, that's, that's the other side of the argument, absolutely. Now, you know, before I, I'm going to ask at the end of this podcast... Yeah, go on, go on, you've got a point, yeah. Because it's exactly the same, and I hate to say it's a dirty word, but it's the same at Old Trafford. They've not put side-ins, extra trams, it's a nightmare. Getting same company. Goes same to show, doesn't it? They don't care. Yeah. They're not interested. Now, I'm going to finish the podcast in a second by looking ahead to what's to come, but just before I do, here I am, I'm at Berry Branch. You are a, a passionate group of City fans. You sit in when I'm not here, talking about whatever you talk. Have I missed anything? Is there anything, any subject you want to bring up, whether it be about your branch, whether it be about City, whether it be about players, football, anything? Is there anything I've missed that you would like to bring up? Well, you, you mentioned, uh, Ian, about player welfare. And we know that football's termed as the working men's pleasure. I personally don't look at a footballer as having a proper job. I work 45 hours and I'm sure you do more as well. And I know Pep was concerned recently about having to get the bus back from... And I, and I understand... Listen, they are pampered millionaires that fly first class and everything else. And to me, that's the last thing in my mind any player's welfare quite frankly they play 90 minutes of sport that we've all probably done at, at semi-professional or amateur or whatever you want to say and no the answer's no I don't at the end of the day they're paid well let's not forget that as well and um, if they're tired I'm sure they'll see the trainer or the doctor and they'll cry off for whatever reason 
that's the way I look at it personally. I must admit, I thought Pep's comment about coming back on the coach was ill-informed. Even if he actually thought that, I think I'd have, if I'd have been his PR man, I'd have said, don't say that, because that makes you sound like an entitled millionaire. And it's not very often that I would criticise our genius of a manager, but it wasn't that far. I, I didn't get home until 2.30 in the morning. They'd have been back before me, I can tell you that. I know I wasn't playing football, but I still think that that was a little bit too entitled and, and ill-advised. The final question then um, is really about what's to come now. You know, at the beginning, you were all really positive. Once Rodri's back and everything will be fine and Haaland will start scoring goals and all the rest of it. Let me put the other side of this, right? Um, City have played Arsenal and lost. Um, and they're the only one of the, the big teams. You could argue Newcastle in the league, but I don't think that they're in the same class. Sit coming up in the next six or seven games, City have got United, Liverpool, Tottenham. So the next little group of, and even going to Villa Park, you could argue. I'm talking about league, obviously. The Champions League, as far as I look at it, is the easiest group in the world. So they're going to sail through that. Back-to-back -back victories against uh, young boys and they're already through. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the, the Premier League. Now we're going to have a challenge. Yes, Rodri's back, but... The optimists among you, do you feel very confident now that Arsenal was just down to Rodri being missing? Because it's likely that probably Kevin De Bruyne will still be missing for one, two or maybe all three of those massive big games. How do you be feeling now? Do you feel City are going to win the next six or seven in a row? Yeah, we'll, get, well, I wouldn't say six or seven in a row, but... Well, that's what they usually do, don't they? Well, yeah, but this, we've lost, like you said earlier, we've lost Gundogan, who's a massive player for us. Uh, like I say, Doku and Nunez have got to settle in. Uh, I think Vardy has show, shown brilliant signs. I think he'll be a brilliant player for us. I just think, yeah, we need once we get Rodri back with this stability, it'll give all our creative players more licence to go out, create more chances... We'll score more goals, no doubt about it. So no worries about the trip to Old Trafford, no worries about you know upcoming Tottenham and you know Liverpool games. You're confident? Yeah, I'm, I'm confident. Yeah, I think City play better against the better teams. I mean, if you look at the City Arsenal game on um, last weekend, it was poor, poor quality. You could have been watching two of the poorest sides in the Premier League for me. Really, the quality of the football was poor. They cancelled each other out. Arsenal got lucky with the deflection, but. Should they have won? Yeah, prob probably, yeah. You probably could have said, yeah, if you look at City's performance because we didn't do enough. But that's not City. It was a false picture. And we've got, we've got players coming into the team. We're eight games in, you know, and let's, let's be honest. We're expecting players to come in at the ground running. They're going to take time. Usually with City, it takes 12 months. Bernardo, Rodri, we've seen it all before, haven't we? Grealish. Um, it's a transition, but we're expect we're still expecting, and that I think that's the difference for with City fans at the moment. We we still expect. I think we've got to give a little bit of leeway. If you look at um, Pep over the last um, few games, I think he's been you know he's been very critical of players. You know, Rodri getting sent off. He's been getting sent off. He's sat in the stands. He's not helping the team sat in the stands. You need to be doing your job as well. So I think everyone needs to just take a little bit of a a chill pill, let's say, and just, you know, reflect on where we are. We're in a good position. We've had a good start. We don't have a good start usually. So we've got the international break. Let's get back and then let's start work and I think we'll be fine. Perhaps the international break's come at the right time. Yeah. I'm going to do a little show of hands here so even those who haven't contributed who might be a bit shyer can at least contribute to this bit, I hope. Um, obviously, we all hope that City are going to win the Premier League this year. I just wonder who you see as the main title rival. So let's have a show of hands. Who thinks that the main title rival to City this season is going to be Arsenal? So that's two, three, four, five. We've got about 20 in the room. So who thinks it's Tottenham? Tottenham are currently top of the league. Um, Tottenham have a different manager. So that's one, two, three. Liverpool. Who's is Liverpool? So it's up. Ooh, now that's fairly convincing. There's several Liverpool. So at the moment, Liverpool are well ahead. I'm not going to even ask you about Newcastle because I don't think they're, they're really in it. And I'm reluctant to ask you about United. However, I will throw them into the mixed 
Anyway, does anybody think United are title rivals this year? And I'm looking around the room and there's no arms up. So um, that's interesting in itself. Listen, thanks for, for being, um, you know, inviting me down here and, and being, uh, you know, my, my guinea pigs, as it were, on this podcast. Really appreciate it. Thanks very much to AMAR Development UK for their support as a sponsor. Next week, I'll be back doing what you might call the normal podcast. Not quite know who we've got lined up next, uh, next on that. Obviously, I'll be at the game against Brighton. Uh, in the meantime... Um, look out for the stuff I've been putting up on YouTube. Um, the, we had Ian Boyer, former City player, as our special guest on the podcast last week. And I've, the video version of that is going to go up at the same time, essentially, as this audio podcast. So if, if you want to see Ian Boyer as he talks about his career, when he talks about uh, being a, you know, a European Cup Winners Cup winner with City and a twice European Cup winner, with Nottingham Forest under Brian Clough and comparing Clough with Mercer and Allison and Pep and all that sort of stuff. It's well worth watching if you've not listened to it already on the Pep podcast. Look out for that. And then as a teaser, going into the new game against Brighton, Harlan, who I mentioned a little bit earlier on, I'm going to put a little bit of what he had to say about Harlan up next week. See how you react to that, positive or negative. You know, he's told me he's not worried. You say what you think. So if you're listening to this... Put your comments up there and have a look at it. In the meantime, have a great week. And if you only remember one thing from this podcast and you remember none of the contributions and not a word I've said, just remember this. It's great to be a blue. Um.